Y'all look good today. Look good. Around the time we got married, which is almost 20 years ago, which is crazy. I mean, you know, you're clapping for Doreen. She made it. <laughs> she made it, man. She made it. 20 years. Around that time, Doreen's father, at her request, bought her a hope chest. You may know what a hope chest is. Uh, I guess other cultures call it a glory box. Interesting. Anyway, she keeps meaningful things inside this hope chest. Uh, Things that are valuable to her, like things that she wants preserved and saved because she treasures these things. Um, things that to her would be irreplaceable, right? You, you can't replace this. We've got to put this in a special spot uh, so that uh, Mike doesn't ruin it or something like that. Just kind of preserve it. One of the things that you'll notice as if you were to ever interact with some of the things inside the hope chest is that everything that's meaningful inside there is a reflection or a connection to uh, a relationship that's meaningful in her life. Okay, So inside you'll find a smaller box, and that box is full of, uh, of letters. Uh, letters that her and I had in high school kind of corresponding with one another. Some very cheesy letters. Hashtag sappy letters. No, 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 no for example. <laughs> Uh, no, that's going to cost you a lot. See that? So, very personal letters based on a meaningful relationship. If you were to read any of these letters, which you will not, um, right? you may read them and realize these are just descriptive of a relationship that Mike and Doreen have together. That really is at least on the surface, no bearing on me. It's just insight into their relationship. But uh, like many relationships, uh, that while we watch them or listen in or get a picture of them, uh, they cause uh, uh, us to reflect like about our relationship, the relationships that we have. They may even bring about some sort of evaluation. There may be some connections that you can make as you read them. That's often the case. We look at other relationships and we wonder, is there any connection there? What application can we draw from them? It's like anything in that regard, right? Watching how other people relate can provide lesson or lessons for us in our relationships or help us uh, in the way that we live together. That's kind of what we have the opportunity this morning to do uh, with the passage that we're in. Today is the beginning of the end of the book of Romans. But let's not forget, and we won't today, that this is a letter. This is a letter that was written by Paul to the church of Rome. And this was a meaningful relationship that that Paul had with this congregation. Now here's the interesting thing. Uh, You may read uh, chapters uh, 118 through where we've been recently in chapter 15, and you think this Paul is just arguing theories, ideas, theology, the gospel. It's very conceptual. 
It's dogmatic in that regard. But, but let's not forget the fact that this is an apostle relating to a church, real people. And this is a letter and a relationship that exists between Paul and these Christians at Rome. And so we dive in and we see, again, this personal correspondence between Paul and these people. And let's not forget, it's not just any letter, it's the Word of God that we read this morning. The inspired Word of God that has something specific to say to each one of us here today. Romans chapter 15, 14 through 21. Am I the only one that's hearing a little something, something? No, you're, okay, you got it. Yay, Tommy! Romans 15, 14 through 21. Please follow along with me. Grab your Bibles. Let's go old school and grab your Bible in your hand or look on the screens. Or look on the screens, okay? Verse 14 through 21. Paul says this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points... I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, Illyricum, sorry, I said that wrong, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on some el- someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of God. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Again, you see a personal interaction that's taking place here between Paul and these believers, and you're getting his view of the Roman Christians and his approach in the relationship that they have. There's really three things that I want to emphasize by way of observation with you about what gospel ministry uh, is, is doing in this relationship between Paul and these people. And I wonder if, based on what we see here, we can't also reflect on the kind of gospel relationships, gospel ministry that we have that take place at this congregation. Okay? So here we are. We have three particular uh, characteristics, or three, uh, yeah, characteristics about what the gospel is doing in this relationship. The first thing we notice in verse 14 is that Paul is satisfied about the Romans. He's content. And thus... He writes affectionately of them. 
If you remember back to the beginning of the book, he's, he's thanking God for them in the opening chapter. Paul loves the Roman Christians. He loves the Roman church. He says, I'm satisfied about you. I'm content. I love what I'm seeing. I love what I hear about you, he says. He calls them my brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. This is family to Paul because of Christ. So he has an affection for these people. He says, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Basically, Paul is saying, I'm satisfied, I'm grateful for you, because God has done an incredible work to bring about maturity in your life. Right? Wouldn't this be a simple way to characterize maturity? Right? These people are filled with knowledge, goodness, and able now to instruct one another. See, Paul had been instructing them throughout this whole letter. But he's even saying, listen, I recognize that based on what God's done in your life, you're able even now to, to encourage and instruct and teach one another. So he recognizes and affirms that they've matured in their faith. So he's satisfied with them. He writes affectionately to them. But not just this. He writes boldly. Why? Because he's not just satisfied, he's also quite unsatisfied with who they are and where they are. Right? He's unsatisfied. He, he goes on to say, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. That Paul writes affectionately, but he also writes very boldly. He's been very bold in his letter to the Romans. Right? He said on one occasion, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 21 of the same chapter, he says, you then who teach others, will you not teach yourselves? Been very bold with the Romans. He says in chapter 9, skipping over another bunch of bold moments, he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God. The very bold statements that Paul is saying to the Roman church in accordance with the gospel. And you think about the last three chapters where he's giving these instructions to love enemies and to repay no one evil for evil. That to, to have no obligation except the remaining obligation to what? Love one another. These bold instructions. He's saying because of the gospel, you're to live this way. Empowered by it, of course, but this is your appropriate response to what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's been very bold. But understand, it's, it's out of his affection. It's out of his love that he's bold with the Roman Christians. But he's bold nonetheless. And he's bold because he has a clear sense of his calling. You know, boldness comes out of calling. Right? I know who I am. I know whom God has made me to be. I know what Christ has called me to do. That affectionate boldness is the overflow of a very clear sense of call that Paul has. He says, 
I'm bold because of the grace given me by God. My boldness comes from God. My boldness comes from the fact that He has made me a minister, a servant of Christ Jesus. I am who I am. My boldness comes out of His call and His grace in my life. He's made me a Minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Why? So that the offering of the Gentiles, them coming to saving faith as a result of Paul's faithfulness to the call, them coming to faith it literally becomes an offering that is acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm bold. Because of God's purposes in your Midst in your lives. I'm, I'm coming with an affectionate boldness to you, Romans. And I'm speaking very boldly out of love for you and out of a deep sense of and a clear call of who God has made me to be and what God is calling me to do. He knows who he works for and what that means, how it requires boldness. Because really, if you think about it, one scholar said that it requires boldness gospel ministry because it's always going against the grain of human nature to reject it. Anytime you preach the gospel, anytime you instruct people in the gospel, it's bold. Why? Because it's coming face to face with human rejection all the time. It's calling us out and calling us to something. And that's always going to be bold, the gospel, right? You follow me? So he's saying, out of my love for you, and out of my deep sense of call, I am going to live into that purpose for which God has saved me to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, even if it requires, and it does, a boldness toward you. But don't mistake it for a harshness. It's an affectionate boldness. And I wonder if that affectionate boldness that we see in Paul's relating to this church is not a characteristic of the way in which we relate to one another in the body of Christ. An affectionate boldness with one another. Yes, we can look at each other and say, man, I am amazed at what God has done in you over the last couple of years or the last decade. Man, you know, Dorian and I can look at each other and say, man, we have not arrived yet, but over the last 20 years, the, the Lord has been good. The Lord has been faithful to us. And we can look at one another and say, wow, what, praise God for his work in your life. We can rest in that. There's a satisfaction and a contentment. We can do that in the body of Christ. If we can put our critical eye aside for just a few moments, was so much better at seeing fault than affirming someone's faith. Just look at one another and say, man, look at what God's doing in your life. I'm satisfied with you. You're full of goodness. Right? You're full of knowledge. And, and you're able to teach one another. You think of the last six years as a church, the maturing that God has brought about here. Man, you're, you're able to teach one another now. Look at that. 
satisfied with you. We can rest in that goodness, that work of God. But there's also always a, a good amount of a holy discontent that we have toward one another. Man, I'm not satisfied with you. I love you enough to, to tell you that. Grateful for what God's done, but I'm not satisfied with your growth. You're not done yet. You got to work on that, bro. Right? You need to seek the Lord about that sin. And so we approach one another because we love one another affectionately, brothers, sisters, in Christ. To approach one another with a boldness by way of reminder, don't forget the gospel as it pertains to that situation. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget the scriptures, what they are, what they do. So the gospel is fueling a ministry together that's quite bold, affectionately bold, but bold. We look at one another and we say, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? That's what Paul is living for, working for, the sanctification, the acceptable offering of the Gentiles. That's why we're in relationship together in this church. Because God wants us to be an acceptable, sanctified offering unto him for his glory. That's why you're in relationship with one another. So that you might cooperate with God in his work of sanctifying Christ's people. That requires an affectionate boldness. Reminders. Another way to pull it, put it, calling each other out. Calling each other out. Out of love and in keeping with God's purposes. Please hear me. The pastoral tone. Affection. But that's what we do. We keep each other accountable. We remind each other of the gospel. This is the will of God. This is what your life is heading toward. Conformity to the image of Jesus. That is why we're alive. Conformity to the image of Jesus. That's why we're wrestling with this issue together. Conformity to the image of Jesus. That requires us to live with an affectionate boldness with one another. That's what we see with Paul and these Christians. This is so significant for eldership. Like, this, is our, this is our hope for our members, for the people of God, your sanctification. I recognize that in many ways, uh, Jeremy and I and Bernie might be the most annoying people in your life. Like when you want to relax and just hang out and let, like, let's not invite Maisie over. You just are asking me questions. Right? We love you. This is our vision. Consistent with the scripture's vision. Conformity to the image of Christ. And you should, you should get from us a, a, an affectionate boldness calling you to the gospel, calling you to worship, calling you to obedience because of our love for you and our calling, right? The, this is how many times we've, we've said to people, let me say this to you with all the love and affection that I can conjure up on the basis of the gospel, repent. 
It's a common elder statement. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Run into the arms of Christ. Don't go one step further down that road. Come back now. We love you. And to be fair, elders always have to check their motives. And some of you always help, some of you help me with that. Right? As we interact about certain issues in gospel living, you know, you say, bro, what's up, man? You, you seem upset with me. Am I upset? I don't think I'm upset. Maybe I am upset. See, oh God, search me, oh God, know my heart. Right? And now you're, guess what you're doing now? So we interact. Brother in the Lord, you're helping me in my own sanctification. It's all how it works. Affectionate boldness. Loving, affirming, calling each other to faithfulness. Members do this with one another. You know, I see it because I love, I hear this because I love you with all my heart and desire for you to grow. Can I ask why you've not been attending corporate worship? Where have you been? Some may hear that as guilting somebody. But in the proper context of uh, uh, loving Christ-centered relationships, that's an act of love. It's an act of love. Say, hey, you're important. This is significant. Don't miss out on this. You know, you do that to one. You encourage one another in your walks. I hear of stories all the time. Fathers to children. This is what it's all about for your kids. Dory and I were talking this morning. We're interacting with uh, a missionary which I'm actually going to bring up later, so I'll just hold off on that. But what do we really want for our kids? Trophies? Degrees? White picket fences? 401Ks? Or full conformity to the image of Jesus Christ? Right? Affectionate boldness. Man, my kids are like, Dad, not again. Because I love you. I can't let this go. Affectionate boldness. You know what? Uh, recently I had a conversation with my kids. It's like, I just don't feel like doing this anymore. We don't quit when we don't feel like doing this anymore. Right? We don't give in. So affectionate. I'm saying this because I love you. Not to be harsh and just make you keep doing it. Do it. Do it. Listen, we don't quit when we don't feel like doing it anymore. It's not when we quit. We can quit later, but not when we're just feeling tired and we don't feel like it. That's not when we quit. Boldness, affectionate boldness. Husbands, right? Wives, together. This is how it works. That's what gospel ministry is. Affectionate boldness to bring about God's purposes in the midst of his people and in the world. Full conformity to the image of Jesus Christ sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary. Why? Because if the Spirit doesn't sanctify it, it will not be sanctified. And if it is not sanctified by the Spirit, it will not be acceptable unto God. So our vision is not just to grow a church here so that there's lots of people and lots of money. No, we want a real work of God in the midst of His people. A substantive work of God in the hearts of men, women, and children. 
Maybe there's only 20 of us standing before God someday. But it is sanctified and acceptable unto God. That's what we strive for. Amen? That requires a boldness in our gospel ministry together. The second thing is that it's boastful. The gospel fuels a ministry together that's boastful. What? Haven't we heard anything in Romans? Isn't boast, boasting concerning works excluded? Say it. Yes. Right? Isn't pride an abomination to the Lord? Yes. So he's boasting now. He's lost it. Right? He's lost his mind. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I've got reason to be proud, man. Woo! Awesome. What's going on here? Is Paul haughty? Is there pride in his heart? Is he puffed up? Is he thinking more of himself than he ought to think? So much for Romans 12, 3. What's going on? Something else going on here, it involves much more, much more than we might see on the surface. And if you look at the emphasis, you see that it's anything but pride and haughtiness. It's actually, if you look at the statement, it, there's a built-in humility that's coming with it. It's a glorying. I glory in it. I boast in it. I'm, I'm proud about this. What? The work I'm doing. Okay, in Christ Jesus. There's built into this word a, a humility. A, a, uh, one person said, the, the one who glories looks away from himself. And such glorying and boasting is really a confession of God. That to glory and boast in something, in the context here, is to actually thank God for it. Is to worship God for it. So Paul's not proud in the sense of, man, he's awesome. He's not boasting in the sense that he's done something amazing. No, his being proud, his boasting, is a glorying. It's, a, it's an act of worship. And it's pointing all the attention, actually, away from himself to the source of it. God. Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. The focus is on Jesus. He says, I will not venture to say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's about what Christ has done. He draws the attention to Christ. I'm, listen, if it's about something I've done apart from Christ, I'm not talking about that. You're not going to hear anything about that. No resume for me. But if you're talking about the things that Christ has done through me, yeah, I glory in that. I'm grateful for that. I'm amazed at that. I want you to know about it. What God has done through Christ in me, through me. It's like what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, he's talking about his confidence. Confidence? Really? Yes. Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new coven. It's all God. It's all God. 
The sufficiency of God is what he's boasting about here. In Christ Jesus, God is getting it done through me. It's all God. I'm not sufficient in myself. Christ is the source of sufficiency. What an awesome thing. And so it is boastful. It is boastful, this ministry, pointing to Christ. And I wonder, if, is that where you're, uh, in all of your social media-ing, selfie-ing, hey, right? All the attention on you. I'm, I know some of it's just play. I, I do it too. But we must be careful. Where's the attention of your life going? Right? Where, where, do you, where, where is your, your conversations? Where is your, your boasting? Where is your gratitude? Is it as you reflect upon your life and see what God is doing, you're able to look and say, it's all Christ. Anything good that comes from me, it all comes from Christ. Or are you constantly thinking through your accomplishments and trusting and resting in your own ambitions and, and the things that, that bring, come about as a result of it? See, he has a Godward boasting, ambitious, I'm sorry, affectionate boldness, but a, a Godward boasting. That puts all the attention where it belongs, God. And he says how? He says that, that God had worked mightily through him by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God works in that way. Through word and deed. We see it in Jesus' ministry. We see it in the ministry of the apostles. We see it in the church here. Right? Paul's ministry. Word and deed. Jesus preached. And healed, preached and healed, preached and healed. The church preached and they healed, preached and they healed. It was the word and the deed. The word primary, the deed authenticating the proclamation of the word. Right? And this is descriptive of the apostolic ministry. I don't think this prescribes that we should be going around with the expectation of constantly doing signs and wonders like Paul is here. I think this is unique to Paul's apostolic ministry. But lest you think I've just strayed way far to the right, understand this, that our ministry is indeed, in the power of the Spirit, a proclaiming of the Word of God with the expectation that lives will be radically transformed by that preaching, that the Spirit of God works through the preaching of the Word and the supernatural working of His might in human hearts. And so we minister with a boldness and a boasting that points to the sufficiency of God, the, the declaration of the Word, and of course, the power, our complete dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we aren't apostles that still minister within the context of the apostolic church. No. We still are people that are fully dependent upon the Spirit of God. We're still trusting that the Spirit of God is working powerfully and mightily and sovereignly in the way that He chooses to show manifestations of the truth of the Word of God that is preached, transformed lives. Amen? So it's boastful. Trying to wrap up here, moves on to talk about an ambition that he has. Gospel fuels a ministry together that is bold, it's boastful, and as we see, the gospel fuels a ministry together that is ambitious. Ambitious. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Paul has an ambition 
that guides his relationship with these believers and every other one. It's an ambition to preach the gospel. Some of this could quickly connect to us because we're an ambitious society. That's a good thing. Or at least it can be. Right? God has called us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, cultivate creation. God has a mission and a purpose for our lives. He's given us gifts, capacities, and abilities. He has made us to be stewards of the life that we have. Thus, we should be ambitious. We should set goals. We should have a vision and end in mind. We should not be content with just simply making it every day to the couch for TV. Ambition is good. Right? It's, uh, and because and, and, we're stewards. So, and we rest at night. Why? So that we can keep working. See, some of us work just so that we can rest. Right? But that's backwards. See, God's called us to work. So we rest so that we can keep working. We don't work so that we can rest. I admit that sometimes I work so that I can rest. Do you admit that? I'm just going to do this so that I can go home and rest. Not feel bad about it. Because I just want to rest. Right? No, we rest. We get that six, seven, eight. Fourteen, some of us. I know, like. I go to bed when I get home from work. I'm going to work late. Yeah, dream on, right? We get our sleep. Why? Because we've got a calling. We should be ambitious to, to work for God, to serve God and His people. Ambition's good. But some of it's really bad because not only are we just stewards, but we're, we're idolaters, right? It's ambition's not the enemy. It's what we're ambitious for that's the problem. That, the, that, that our heart is contorted and twisted and that we love other things and we start pursuing things that are good as ultimate ends. Idols. Grades. All right? Money. Success. Trophies. Sports. Some of us are so ambitious at the gym. You can tell I've been ambitious at the gym. Man, we're going to lift weights today, baby. Right? Right? He's saying no. He knows me. It's been, it's been two years. I'm no longer an idolater. Anyway, stewardship of body is good too. Don't mishear me. But we're ambitious in some areas of our lives. Man, we would never not show the discipline in certain aspects of our lives. Why? Because there's an end game in mind that we're pursuing. To be healthy so that we can steward our body to the glory of God. Amen. Do it. To just look awesome and to not age and to be fit and we can hit Insta. I don't think, I think that, I think we're, we're whoop, idolatry. Be careful. So it's really about what we want, our affections. What do we love? And we never have enough of it. We constantly pursue more and more and more. That can be bad. And yet Paul has talked with us in Romans 12 about a renewed life, a transformed way of living that the gospel brings about. And part of that is a, a new affection. A new affection. 
So Paul here, coupled with the sanctification of the people of God, has an ambition about preaching the gospel. Getting the gospel out into the world proclaimed. Is that even on the surface of your ambitions every single, at any point in any day of the week? I'm getting up today to declare and proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into light. Is that ambition at all, even on the forefront or even in the backdrop of your ambitions on a daily basis? As a church, when we meet as leaders and elders, are we thinking about all these things that we're doing because we have a singular ambition to preach the gospel? And all this supports that. Very important question. Preaching? Wait, do you hear what he said? He said preaching. Preaching? <laughs> really? Uh, this is some guy, some monologue. Shouldn't we be in a dialogue? Can't we talk this out a little bit? Right? Can I, can I ask a question? No. You can't. Later. Why, why not dialogue? Why not serving? Why not community? Man, we just, it's all about community, relationships. What about ecumenical worship gatherings? Man, if we just start ecumenical worship gatherings man man have you read my blog that's a joke I don't have a blog right uh, some community meal or maybe it's counseling maybe some other effective church growth program that we can instigate here preaching God has chosen the foolishness of preaching in his divine wisdom, that's what he said. I'm going to shame the foolishness of the world by showing my wisdom. A word proclaimed. A word proclaimed. Not conversed about, proclaimed. Hear ye, God says, through preaching. Hear ye. He heralds the gospel. Why preaching? Because of Romans 10, right? We don't preach, they won't hear. If they don't hear, they won't call. If they don't call, they're not saved. Preaching. Preaching. The primacy of preaching. And you need to hear it often. Weekly, in the context of corporate worship. More so, think about it. Chew on it. Rest. Preaching. God uses preaching. To bring about his purposes. That's why. It's his ambition to preach. And not just anywhere. But where Christ has not been named. I don't want to just preach anywhere. I want to preach where somebody has never heard or trusted or responded to the name of Jesus. I want to go where nobody's gone before. I want to pioneer in my preaching. Does anybody here have a vision for that anymore? To preach where no one has preached. That's what drives every man, woman, and child for us. Yes, Western civilization has heard the gospel. But understand this, more and more, especially the Northeast, you will come into contact with people who will know nothing of Christ. Nothing of Christ. 
Is it your ambition to share Christ with them? Every man, woman, and child. It's why we left Missio in 2013, because of the 90,000 people that live in these suburbs. Every man, woman, child. You say, well, they've heard about Jesus, have they? They may see some versions of religion and some of the trends in evangelicalism that might be just absolutely disgusting to them, but have they really heard about Jesus? I'll never forget Serve Syracuse when Jim Murphy led a group of college students from Florida into the near west side. One of the college students said, have you ever heard about Jesus? And the other person said, no. And it was a wake-up call to all of us. That we can't assume that anybody knows the gospel at all. Has ever heard the gospel at all. Never even known the name Jesus. That's what we want. It's his ambition. Singular ambition. To bring the gospel where it is not. To bring Christ where he is not. Just like Jim Elliot. Who went to that tribe. And died. What motivated him to leave the comforts of American society, to go to the Aka Indians? I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where it is not named, where Christ is not named. What about, you hear me reference him often, Adoniram Judson, who despite all opposition in the early 1800s, feeling a deep sense of call to bring the gospel to uh, people that have never heard it in Burma went to the church folks and said, you got enough people around here that don't know Jesus. We're not sending you and we're not paying for it. And he kept pursuing out of this call, his bold, singular ambition to bring the gospel to where Christ is not named. And in one of his uh, accounts, he records some of his uh, frustration with the church who has lost its gospel call to bring it to the world. And he says this, How do Christians discharge the trust committed to them? It's frustration. It's a tone. How do they do this? Want me to tell you how they do this? They let three-fourths of the world sleep the sleep of death, ignorant of the simple truth that a Savior died for them. Content if they can be useful in a little circle of their acquaintances. <laughs> Content if they can be useful in a little circle of their acquaintances. They quietly sit and see whole nations perish for lack of knowledge. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. That's what he said. And they sent him. Before he went, he wrote a letter to the father of Anne Hasseltine, who he had a little bit of a crush on. He says this, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. She was 16. 
whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died? Their singular ambition. The parents responded with obviously hesitancy. Hmm. But they actually left it up to Anne, their daughter, to decide. And she said this, Who am I to deny this opportunity from my Savior to bring the gospel to the heathen? And they went, and she died. Singular ambition. No matter how hard it is, no matter what it costs, no matter how slow it progresses, even here, in our lives, in the community in which we live. I think this calls for our evaluation. You look at that relationship, and we see boldness, boasting, and ambition. But it would be easy to miss out on the unifying thing that brings all of this together. That meaningful connection that you couldn't miss if you looked, inside, you looked in the hope chest. You couldn't miss it. Oh, all these things have something in common. And it's very much on the basis of a relationship. This boldness and this boasting and this ambition is all because of Christ. As a matter of fact, you could say he's the hope chest. Where all that is meaningful about our lives is. Is that true of us? Does that guide our relationships? Does that guide our ambitions? Christ. Because this boldness is a Christ-centered boldness. It's, this boasting is a, is a Christ-centered boasting. This ambition is about Christ's name. It's Christ-centered. Just like relationships are. He's the hope chest. Everything about, it all comes back to Christ. It's time for evaluation. Is that true of us? That our lives are orchestrated and, 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 and structured and, 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 and manifesting that it's all about Jesus, this life. That our lives are about the sanctification of His people. That our lives are about boasting in His work. That our lives are about bringing His name to the nations. Because if it's not that, we should rethink it. So evaluate your relationship with Christ. As we bring an end to this book, live for Christ. Love Christ's people. It's a relationship of love between Paul and Christ's people. Love Christ's people. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. 
in Christ. You've done all things for us in Christ. You've called us in Christ. You've sent us in Christ. You've given us a message about Christ. A message that brings about reconciliation with you, forgiveness of sin, a renewed passion for your glory, the thing that brings about our greatest joy, your glory. Lord, we confess that oftentimes our ambitions are distorted and misplaced, that our relationships, therefore, are twisted and and, and a little unhealthy, dysfunctional, that we wake up every day with a specific purpose in mind, but we forget about the big picture of what it's all about. It's so easy to make you, our relationship, just some category of our lives rather than all of it. And I pray that you would just do a work by your spirit now through the preaching of the word, do a work by your spirit to bring people new affections, new ambitions. God, do a mighty work so that Christ, where he is not named, may be heard, trusted, and believed. Do this in us and through us, we pray. All for your glory. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.